Our gospel lesson this morning is from the 8th chapter of Mark's gospel, verses 31 through 38. Listen for the word of God to us this day. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've all heard the phrase before, Monday morning quarterback, right? Or hindsight is twenty-twenty. You see, things that aren't obvious always in the moment become a little more clear once we're removed, once we're away from the situation, once the choices or that situation are in our past, or actually when we're not the ones even experiencing it, right? When, when we're not experiencing the pressure of the moment. The Monday morning quarterback in all of us finds it easy and convenient to look back and see things that could have been done or maybe should have been done differently. But we also have the ability after the fact or outside of the emotions of the situation to understand things a little bit more, to gain a broader context, the shift of perspective to get the more complete story, the fuller landscape that helps us connect the dots more completely than we otherwise might. And in many ways, whenever we're looking at history or we're looking even at gospel texts, we're Monday morning quarterbacks. We're looking at it from a different perspective with a more complete picture. And the interesting thing about the gospels is that they were written essentially to an audience not so dissimilar from us, an after-the-fact audience. The disciples and their experiences with Jesus are on display in the Gospels for us to analyze and process and even at times question. I can't tell you how often I'm still surprised when I read something in the Bible where my eyes go big and I think, why did he or she say that? What were they thinking? A few weeks ago, we looked at this complicated and mysterious account of the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop in front of Peter and two other disciples. In that text, you may remember that Jesus appears with Elijah and Moses, and the appearance of Jesus changes dramatically. And all who are there hear an angelic voice, 
And Peter, in that moment, seems to be confused about what's going on. In fact, the scripture even says that Peter is awestruck and doesn't know what to do. Peter's experience with Jesus on the mountaintop becomes a little more interesting to me when we look at the fact that it comes right after this morning's text, the one we just heard. And then, even more surprising to me, is that if we go back a little bit further, a little bit further in Mark's Gospel, to the story right before the one I read this morning, Peter declares in that text, in a response to a question from Jesus of, who is, who are, no, who do you say that I am? That's the question to Peter. Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah. So this morning's lesson is sandwiched between Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, and then Peter's bewildering experience of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. But even before we look at these scenes, we have to go way back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, because Mark introduces his gospel by telling us from the outset that Mark's goal, his thesis, his objective for writing is to proclaim the identity of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He says it. That's what his goal is. He makes it clear. But then what he does is he proceeds to unfold the telling of the story of Jesus. And up until our reading this morning, most of the gospel is an account of the things that Jesus has done, who Jesus has encountered, and what has happened when he's encountered them. Jesus heals. He gathers large crowds. He feeds the hungry. He teaches about caring for others. He brings people back from the dead. He feeds more people. He walks on water. He calms the storms. One after another, he does all of these things. And he does them in front of the disciples. And then he does them in front of crowds. Crowds that continue through the gospel to grow. And so Mark is laying out all of this stuff that he's done. And then it culminates in that declaration by Peter that, yes, in answer to Jesus asking him who people say that Jesus is, Peter declares, you are the Messiah. But we quickly learn that even Peter doesn't understand what that means. And the Monday morning quarterback in me, the hindsight 2020 perspective, can't help but shake my head look at Peter and say, how do you not get it? But then I have to stop myself. I have to stop myself and give Peter and these other disciples a break. Frankly, because I need a break. We all need a break. We need a a pause, too, in, in this text. We need to pause and reflect on that question that Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? And so before I judge the disciples, I need to ask this question of myself. This is our Lenten question, but it's also the question of our whole lives. Who do we say that Jesus is? And then comes this companion question. What does that mean? What does that mean for your life? We see the disciples wrestling with these very questions in our scripture lesson this morning. 
Peter has acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. I sometimes wonder whether we add punctuation sometimes in the way we read things, right? We certainly add inflection. Did he say, you are the Messiah? You are the Messiah? We don't know. But if he's waiting for Jesus to say, you got it, there's no ding of a bell, right? There's no little waving of a flag. He doesn't get a prize. He just makes the declaration. And again, up until this point, as I've said, the, the ministry of Jesus as set forth in Mark's gospel has been about showing, showing in action, this act, these acts of transforming love. But Jesus, at this point, hasn't said much about who he is. People wondered about him, for sure. They wondered who this man was that was doing these strange things. But societally, this wasn't actually all that strange. There was this belief among the people, whether they had encountered them or not, there was a belief that there were people who could do these things. People who could perform healings. People would hear stories about it. They would hear stories about these people who were like a combination of magician, conjurer, doctor healers, agents of the wow. And so they were expecting it to some degree. Sure, they were surprised, maybe even a little confused, and certainly drawn in. But they weren't connecting Jesus as a messiah in large part because that term, Messiah, which means anointed or anointed one, one who is anointed or blessed and set apart, that term throughout Jewish history had been reserved for three types of people, prophets, priests, and kings. Not healers, magicians, conjurers, teachers, or even friends. Prophets, priests, and kings. Now, the interesting thing with hindsight being 2020 is that we see that Jesus was all three of those things prophet, priest, and king. But he wasn't the prophet, priest, or king that anyone was expecting, not even Peter. And so when people encountered him, they were surprised and even inspired by him. Remember, he, he's drawing these large crowds, but they weren't getting necessarily beyond the wow. So Jesus takes just his disciples, and he asks them that question. First, he asks, who do the crowds say that I am? Who does everyone else say that I am? And it's clear from the response that the crowds are wondering who this is. And then Peter makes his declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. And right after that, so, so Jesus, uh, Peter says, you are the Messiah, prophet, priest, or king, right? Right after that, for the first of three times at the beginning of our text this morning, Jesus says, I'm going to be killed like a criminal. Is that a prophet? Is that a priest? Is that a king? Is that a messiah? No. And Peter flips out. He says, don't say that. I just said my declaration that you are the messiah, and you are turning it on its head. And Peter gets angry, and he's confused. 
And so Jesus tries, for the first of what will become several times, to make things a little more clear. And again, looking back, knowing what we know now about the rest of the story, about the rest of Christ's life and Christ's death and resurrection, with even a basic Sunday school knowledge, we might want to question Peter's confusion. But really, isn't his confusion so often our confusion? Our own perplexity at the identity and the role of Jesus? We understand the good works. We get it. We get Jesus doing good things. We get his teachings. But Jesus, in his words to his disciples, reveals now so much more about himself and about God in this text. Jesus says to these disciples, and to you and to me, he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow, you have to really, 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 really follow. Now that's my interpretation for a little emphasis there, but I do see it here in the text. In part because the disciples have already decided to follow Jesus, right? They've already followed him. They left behind their lives that they had before. They set those things apart. They left their families and they came and they followed him. And they've been with him through all of these wow moments, through all the teachings. Through all of it, they've been his partners in ministry. But now Jesus is saying, there's something more. That being a follower of Jesus means being willing to be changed. Being called upon. Being called upon to take action in our own lives. Being a follower of this Messiah, this anointed one, this prophet, this priest, this king, being a follower of the one who will be killed on a cross means being willing to face the, own, the crosses of our own lives, the things that stand in the way of our ability to love like Christ. Being willing to encounter our own suffering, our own burdens, the areas of our lives that we would rather ignore and move away from, the things that we'd rather just push to the side and hide and ignore. A willingness to face our crosses and still yet follow Christ. To pick up our crosses of illness, of anxiety, of fear, of anger, of worry, to pick up our crosses of shattered dreams and broken hearts, and to bring our cross to Jesus. And also face the crosses of our society, the crosses of homelessness and of hunger, the crosses of violence, the crosses of hatred and division and of idolatry, the crosses of abuse and the crosses of systemic injustices and difficult histories, all of these crosses that threaten our faith. You see, Jesus never says that our lives will be without threats or challenges to our faith. He never says that our lives will be without pain. He never says that everything will be perfect and comfortable. He never says any of that. And yet far too often, people leave the church 
or leave their faith, when these crosses come at them in their lives, and when they see the church silent, silent in the face of the crosses, as though we can just ignore them. Jesus doesn't say, walk away from your cross. Walk away from your cross, and then you can follow me. Jesus does say, walk away from your nets. Right? To the fishermen, to those early disciples. He says, walk away from those things of comfort, those things of security, those things of your livelihood. Walk away from those. Drop your nets and follow me. But the same Jesus says, but pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross, take up your cross, carry your cross on your shoulders and follow me. And follow me. We can't miss that last part. And follow me. Jesus doesn't say, carry your cross alone and good luck. This is an invitation that Jesus makes to discipleship, to bringing our whole lives before God and following. Discipleship is the, is the church word we put on this idea of following and learning and being shaped and being formed. And this is the invitation that we make again and again, especially during this time of Lent. It's our Lenten journey, but it's also our lifelong journey, coupled with that first question, who is Jesus? And then that next question, what does it mean for me? What does it mean to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? What does discipleship mean? Theologian Frederick Buechner writes that a part of discipleship is searching for the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Following Jesus means examining our lives and asking ourselves, how do we fit into the world, seeking to bring the healing of Christ, the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. A part of discipleship is bringing our wounded selves under the weight of the crosses we carry into the footsteps of Christ. And it also means seeing those ways that we might bring ourselves, our gifts, our heart, our resources, and our abilities to the world's crosses, to walk with Christ who carries those burdens. Discipleship means integrating your actions and intentions with better understanding of what it means to follow this one who invites us to change our expectations and our understandings of God's hope for us, God's intentions for us, God's intention for you. Jesus makes it clear in this morning's gospel and throughout the gospels, throughout his life, that discipleship, following Jesus, means going into those parts of the world, the places of the world which lead us to the cross of Christ, the places and to the people where Christ went. Discipleship, searching for the place of the world's deep hunger, carrying our crosses, serving Christ, and serving the world. Our Lenten journey and in our shared ministry at Pinnacle, may we be about this. This work of carrying our crosses, recognizing those burdens that we carry, not ignoring them, not trying to leave them out the door, 
but bringing them, carrying our crosses, carrying the crosses of the world around us, not ignoring the suffering of the world, taking up the crosses and following this one who walks alongside us, who walks with us, and who is in the midst of us always, and in the midst of all that we will encounter in the world. And friends, may we be willing to follow Christ where Christ goes, and knowing that in all of it, in our Lenten journey, in our faith journey, in our walk to the cross, in our kneeling at the tomb, in all of this, we are never alone, and we are following the Anointed One, the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king, the one who stands up to injustices, the one who proclaims release to captives, who wipes away your tears, the one who understands and knows the cross you carry, the one who knows that carrying crosses isn't easy, the one who doesn't let crosses win, the one who won't let your cross or the crosses of the world win, the one who believes in the power of the empty tomb and that an empty tomb is powerful, more powerful than the pain of the cross, of any cross. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And may you find meaning in this one whose love for you knows no limits and from whom you cannot be separated. May you find your meaning and your identity in this one, in Jesus, who desires your companionship on the journey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.